This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. I've learned through the passage in 1 Peter, because we're in 1 Peter, I've learned through our passage that we read, that this is good, but there's a weakness to it. And what we've said is, God wants you to start to see it's you and God against sin. And this is sin here. And sin cannot fulfill its evil desires unless you help it. That's why in Romans 6 it says, do not go on lending the members of your body to sin. So sin will ask you for your eyes when you're traveling. Can I have your eyes, Pastor Jeff? And I can say yes or I can say no. If I say yes, then he'll say, good. Can I have them for the whole trip? And I'll start to look at things I shouldn't be looking at. You with me? So I've got a choice to make, though. I can say no or yes. That's how Paul relates the idea. It's not us and sin against God. No, it's us and God against sin. And we defeat him by saying, no, you can't have the members of my body to continue to fulfill the evil desires. There's a problem with this illustration, isn't there? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Aaron, and today Pastor Jeff shares with us the relationship between truth and life. This message is a part of our new series titled The Resistance, and he continues to talk to us about the truth that the devil is present in this world and how. God helps us to resist the temptation that's presented before us and live the life the way he ordained it to be lived. Let's join Pastor Jeff and dive into this message together. Glad you're here. Uh, this past week, I was doing a little bit of research online, and I ran into a photo of a guy. I want, can you tell me who this is? Now, this age group especially. Say it out loud. Now, that's right. Flip Wilson. Now, some of you young guys have no idea who this is, but this is a comedian, uh, one of the early comedians. Can anybody tell me what he was famous for? What line? The devil made me do it. That's right. Well, you guys watch way too much TV. Uh, now, the thing about him, Flip Wilson got away with doing some things on television that you really could not do during those days. Now, today it'd be no problem at all. And he got away with it by saying, the devil made me do it. It kind of became his catchphrase. He was very funny, but like I said, he did some risque things on television before his time. Now, I bring that up because we're in this series called The Resistant. We're in week two. And I asked the question, why is it that if we're supposed to be a people who are overcomers and conquerors and the victory is ours and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, then why do I meet so few people in the church that live that kind of life? Why is there so much fear and anxiety and depression and man, just overall sadness? Believe me, I see it in your faces sometimes when you come in here. But don't misunderstand, I'm not judging you, I'm judging us. I'm talking about myself too. If I'm supposed to be this kind of person, I mean, I'm a pastor, you'd think I'd get it right, right? But all of us, to a great degree, don't live those victorious, overcoming lives. As a matter of fact, I can always tell uh, 
where a person is in their faith or walk with God when, when a difficult time comes in their life. And I've always learned that I'm a poor judge of character because people that I thought would just, you know, stand strong, be courageous, conquer uh, when difficulty came, those are the ones that usually don't conquer. And the ones that I think, man, if they ever have any trouble, man, their faith is going to go right into the tank. And they're the ones who stand strong. I'm a very poor judge of character when it comes to this. So I don't make very many comments anymore other than there's not a lot of people living above their circumstances. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, thank God that we're saved by grace, right? But the reality is we should live better lives than we do. And the reason is because for most of us, we severely underestimate that there is somebody out to get us. And I know if you're here for the first time and you think, oh my goodness, I, this right here is why I don't go to, why, it's why I stopped going to church. This guy's going to talk about the devil. And you're thinking, get into the 21st century, man. But I wish, if I had more time to develop that thought, I promise you we could have a good philosophical discussion about good and evil. And I think that your eyes would be open a little bit wider to the reality of something in this universe that you can't quite explain. Now, here's how Jesus, let's let Jesus talk. Here's what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus admitted, I've come to bring you life, but there's somebody else, and his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. And I said last week, the one thing this entity wants to do is destroy everything that has the possibility of being good in your life. Your peace, your joy, your relationships, you wonder why, why do I have such a hard time in my marriage? It's not only because you're just difficult to get along with. That's probably true too, but there's other things and entities at work that destroy our marriages, our vocation, our careers, our relationship with our family, our children, everything. There's somebody coming against us constantly. And C.S. Lewis reminded us when it comes to Christians, we usually make one or two mistakes. We either involve ourselves in superstition where we Give the devil way too much credit, man. We're casting demons out of everything. And, or substition where we give him way too little credit, where we think, oh man, there's no way the devil has any power over my life. This is all my doing. And neither one is right. There's a balance in there somewhere. But until you get a hold on that there's something trying to destroy your life, and it's a battlefield of the mind, it is a battlefield of your mind. Like I said, he can't come in and advance and take any territory that you don't open up to him. Right? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But there are times we give the devil a foothold and he jumps in and then it becomes a battlefield of the mind the way we think. Now, that's the bad news. Okay, now you know these jokes, I've got good news and bad news. Well, I don't have good news and bad news. I've got bad news and worse news. Okay, here's the worst news. According to the Bible, there is an entity that's trying to destroy everything that's good in your life. The bad news is he knows your one weakness. He doesn't know it because he knows the future. He knows you because he knows the past, your past. And everybody in this room, you're a product of your environment. Everybody. We all have our weaknesses and strengths. You are not self-made. It has a lot to do with your mom, your dad, your environment, the town you grew up in, whatever. You are a product of a lot of different things. Now, because of that, you have a weakness. And the devil knows, read James 1 and 2 sometimes, I can't go to that now, but he knows what your one weakness is, and he hones in on that. At any time in your life, you're starting to get your head above water and things are starting to go well. He'll wait, leave you alone for a long time, and then when it's time to move in for destruction, he'll go after that one thing, and everybody has it. Now, since I don't know all of you that well, I'll share, I'll share my one thing with you. I've been very transparent and honest from day one. Let me just keep doing that. I know what my one thing is. When I was young, I learned very quickly that you get praise when you perform well. 
My, I had three brothers. I was the only athlete in the family. And so I came from a small town where the entire town shuts down on Tuesday and Friday nights for the basketball game at high, local high school. I mean, we, the whole town would pack in that gymnasium. And I learned very early in life, if you perform well, you get praise and adoration. And so what happens when a young man learns that? He gets addicted to it. And then when you get older and kind of the limelight is gone, you start creating ways because your self-esteem and self-worth is based on other people's praise of you. That is a horrible life to live. That is a horrible life because you're only as confident and good as your last word of encouragement or praise. You can't live like that. You'll be so far up and down, you'll get depressed. You can't live like But I've known all my life that that is the one thing so that when I get weak, when things come, when things are going well, or when things are going poorly, when I'm isolated, the devil will hone in on that and start to remind me, you know, you're really worthless, you, you know, all that, all, everything you've done in your life is a fluke, and you know what, you, you, you better start getting some praise. And then the temptation is to manipulate circumstances or situations that will meet the need. You got it? Now, that's me. Now, I don't know what you are, but I guarantee you're something. And there's one thing in you. Now, here's the question. If the devil knows what that is, and, and I'm telling you, I, I want you to know I love you, okay? This is not a judgment statement of you. I'm just telling you, if you've not come to grips with that one thing yet, you're going to lose all your life. And he's going to come after you, and you'll never live the life. And you'll, worse yet, you'll never be everything God's called you to be because every time you're starting to make headway, he comes in with that because you've never dealt with it, boom. And you'll two steps forward, three steps back. I've learned through the passage in 1 Peter, because we're in 1 Peter, I've learned through our passage that we read, there, that this is good, but there's a weakness to it. And what we've said is, God wants you to start to see it's you and God against sin. And this is sin here. And sin cannot fulfill its evil desires unless you help it. That's why in Romans 6 it says, do not go on lending the members of your body to sin. So sin will ask you for your eyes when you're traveling. Can I have your eyes, Pastor Jeff? And I can say yes or I can say no. If I say yes, then he'll say, good, can I have them for the whole trip? And I'll start to look at things I shouldn't be looking at. You with me? Your, your mouth, you know, I get in a heated debate with my wife. And uh, as I've said before, sin always speaks to her first. And she gives sin her mouth. And so obviously I got to do it in return. So I've got a choice to make, though. I can say no or yes. That's how Paul relates the idea. It's not us and sin against God. No, it's us and God against sin. And we defeat him by saying, no, you can't have the members of my body to continue to fulfill the evil desires. There's a problem with his illustration, isn't there? Yes, it's true. All you got to do is say no. <laughs> Saying no is hard. When you get to the precipice of temptation, man, because the devil knows exactly what your weakness is, it's hard to say no. Just say no. Ain't easy. How do you think I know that? The experience. Now, I'm telling you that you can walk out of here this weekend on top of this thing that's killing you. Whatever it is, addiction to, to compliments, if it's a drug addiction, uh, a pornography addiction, whatever it is, I want you to know God loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, those who are in Christ Jesus, right? But this thing's destroying you, and you've got to get on top. And I'm telling you, you can't. But in order to do it, there's two things that have to happen. You've got to have a change of mind and a change of heart. Now, when I, when I read this and studied this clearly, I thought, man, there's hope for people. There's hope for me. There's hope for you. But you've got to stay with me. The first part's difficult. Second part, we'll run right into. Let's start with the mind. And this is common sense to a degree, isn't it? Because Romans 12 tells us this. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed, metamorphosed 
Spring into something you've always wanted to be by how? The renewing of your mind. You've got to change your way of thinking. If you're going to beat this thing, first of all, something's got to click. And Alcoholics Anonymous, they call it the click. You've got to have a change of thinking. That's the first thing. It's not the only thing. And if you change the mind without changing the heart, you're still going to fail. You've got to do both. Change the mind. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's go back to our verse. He says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, who's done with sin? Now, I know you want to be. I get that. I get that. Pragmatically, who's done with sin? Anybody? No, I don't think so. Really? really. You want your attitude. Stay with me. Your attitude is you want to be, but you're not. All I have to do is follow you around for another couple of hours after this service. You will not be, you're not done with sin. He goes on and he says this, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Hey, that's all well and good. Woo, who's that person? Not for earthly desires, but for the will of God. But the interesting thing about this passage, go back to the previous slide. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. Now, stay with me. Sermon has two parts, the mind and the heart. The first part, the mind, is all based on one word. So for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to deal with one word. And then the last part, deal with this. Therefore, when we come to the word therefore in the Bible, good scholars always ask why it's there for. This is important, man. Stay with me. And I, oh man, if I could just get climbing to your head right now. I've got, I've, I've, there's a thousand different ways I'm trying to illustrate this. The Bible never asks you to do anything or not to do anything without first giving you a picture of ultimate reality. Never. It, in other words, the Bible says, since the world is like this, and since God created us like this, this is how you ought to live. And if you live this way, you're going against the very creative order, and things will not turn out well for you. You with me? Ultimate reality, truth and reality are always going together. Truth and life. Here's the truth, and because this is the truth, this is the way you should live. Think about it. Aren't we inquisitive people by nature? Don't we ask why about everything? It starts when you're, why, Mom? Why, why does the sun shine? Why is I found a few whys. Uh, why is abbreviated such a long word? Okay. All right. Why is the third hand on a watch called a second hand? Don't these things bother you? Uh, if nothing sticks to Teflon, how do they make Teflon stick to the pan? That's always bothered me. All right? Why is the man who invests all your money called a broker? Doesn't that bother you at all? I mean, really? All right? Why, why don't you ever see the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery? All right? Is there something wrong there? Why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle? I've always wondered that. Now this next one. You know that little indestructible black box that is used on planes? Why can't they make the whole plane out of the same substance? That's my question. One, two, couple of more. When you, when you choke a Smurf, what color does it turn? Should vegetarians eat animal crackers? And my personal favorite, if you throw a cat out a car window, does it become kitty litter? I don't know, but I'm willing to try. I'll tell you right now. Here's the point. Here's the point. We are inquisitive people. God knows we're inquisitive people. And if somebody tells us to do something or not do it, we want to know why. Now, stay with me. Let me give you an example. The Bible says that racism is a sin, right? So it tells you do not be a racist. But it tells you why. It tells you why. If you want to know that, read Acts chapter 17 sometimes. And Acts chapter 17 gives you kind of a point of reference. It says we all come from the same stock. You know, through one man, the whole world comes. All are created in the image of God. 
You didn't earn the right in eternity past to be born. It was a gift to you. You didn't decide where you were going to be born. God decided that. You didn't decide your color. God decided that too. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God appointed all these different races to show his multidimensional creativity. That he's just not stuck on one boring pattern. But there's many. So all are equal and all are sacred because we all come from God. So he says, because the creation is this way, this is how you should live. Don't be a racist because you have no right to be. We all come from God and created in his image. Now, ask any typical person on the street if racism is wrong. Here's what they'll tell you. Oh, yeah, it's wrong. Most people. Most people. Oh, yeah, it's wrong. But when I ask them why, I love to get into these conversations at Coffee Clash, Starbucks, wherever. Why is racism wrong? Well, what would their answer be? Now, think about it. Think about it. They'll say, I'm not sure in ultimate reality. I don't know if God exists. As a matter of fact, he probably doesn't. We're probably all animals or a collocation of just chemicals. But racism is wrong. And I'll say, why? And they'll say, everybody knows. Are you serious? There have been plenty of places in the world and still exists where everybody knows that there's a bad race that needs to be exterminated. Can you say Rwanda? Can you say Armenia? Can you say Bosnia? Can you say Germany? To say everybody knows it is not a point of reference. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll let, you'll come up with an ethical code, but you have no foundation. You have no appeal on which to make or base your claim that anything is right or wrong. Now, I bring that up because I, I run into people that say, you know, I'm not a Christian because I'm a thinker. That's what they'll tell me. I'm not a Christian because I'm rational and I'm a thinker and I'm too analytical to be a Christian. And what they mean by that, and of course, you know, that ticks me off, but what they mean by that, uh, they don't know they're about to get into about an hour and a half conversation, but, but, but what, they, what they mean by that is I can't be a Christian because Christians only think subjectively. They only base things on their feelings. There's no rationale for it. And when they say that, I love to say things like, really, really, tell me something that's wrong and then tell me why. And they'll always say, because everybody knows. It's kind of like the evil thing that I do. You know, I say, hey, people say to me, how can you believe in God with all the evil in the world? Remember that little thing I do? I say, wait a minute. If there's evil, then you're admitting there's good. And if there's good and evil categories, there's got to be a moral law to tell us what the good and evil categories are. And the moral law has to be absolute. Otherwise, the categories of good and evil aren't absolute. And who can give an absolute moral law other than an absolute moral law giver? And who is an absolute moral law giver other than God? So without God, there's no such thing as evil because without God, there's no such thing as an absolute moral category to give us good and evil definitive categories. People say, well, why do we have to have God to give us the law? We have to have God to give us the law because we ask the question of evil in the category of life and its sacredness. We're bothered when little children die in a tsunami or when there's evil dictators like Hitler and children go to the gas oven. We say, how can God exist with evil? But the reality is without God, there's no definitive category of good and evil and then I like to ask the person, now, who, who are the thinkers? You, you're the one not asking the second question. If evil exists, there must be a God because there must be an absolute moral law to give us the definitive categories. I'm simply trying to use all kinds of illustrations to get to however it is the way you think to say this. When God says don't do something, don't steal, don't cheat, don't drink alcohol in excess to become drunk. Don't sleep with your girlfriend before you're married. Don't commit adultery. All of these things, he does so because he's saying, 
I created the world and this is how it's meant to function. And because I love you, don't do these things. And if you don't do them, your life is gonna turn out much better. But if you break them, you're breaking you. There's gotta come a time in your life when you, when you get to that point of whatever it is you're about to engage in, that one thing that the devil is getting, and it could be, again, it could even be doubt when something bad, it could even be that something tragic happens in your life and you have the temptation to go away from God. That's still a temptation. Whatever it is, the Bible tries to teach you. First, there's ultimate reality. That's the therefore. The ultimate reality is this. Therefore, live your life this way. Until you have a change of mind that when you're on the precipice of that thing that is destroying you, until you change your mind, you say, wait a minute, hold on a minute. I'm not not doing this because I'm afraid God's going to come down and zap me with lightning. I'm not doing this because when I engage in this, I'm breaking me. I'm breaking me. And I'll never, I'll never become whole. I'll never become all that God wants me to be. The abundant life will never be mine. I'm breaking me. Whatever lie I'm hearing right now, no matter how bad I want to do this right now, no matter how strong it is, I'm breaking me. That's the first step, but it's not the only one. It won't work alone. And the second step is the one that really this message is about. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 18? Beautiful passage. He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. I used to think, wow, Jesus, that is an arrogant statement. I mean, that's pretty arrogant. You listen to the truth, listen to me. Well, that's because he's the creator and sustainer of all that is. He's just speaking to you. He's saying, look, I know how the world works. So if, you're, if it's truth you're looking for, you're going to listen to me. And I'll give you ultimate reality. If you're not looking for truth and you just want to do your own thing, you don't really care what the Bible says or what I say, then I'm really irrelevant to your life. So when we say Jesus is not relevant to our life, it says more about us than it says about him. Until you have a change of mind, until you have a change of mind, you won't understand that when you violate truth, you violate life. When you violate life, you violate yourself. You're breaking yourself. Now, here's the second thing. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, stay right there. Notice, he says you've got to arm yourself with something and it's got to be an attitude. This Greek word here is the, is the word for thought. There's a thought you've got to put in your mind, and you have to arm yourself with it, and whatever that is, it's going to change your heart. Now, I'll get to that in a moment. Let's talk about what he means first. Uh, do you know that Dane Johnson, before he was a pastor, was a repo man? Did you know that? <laughs> Can you imagine? You know what a repo man is, right? When you don't pay your bills on your car, Dane sneaks into the neighborhood about 3 o'clock in the morning and breaks into your car, hot wires it, and drives it back to the factory. And Dane's got some great stories, but one of my favorite stories is, well, I think it was a Ferrari. He went into this neighborhood, and he's got to get into this car, and the owner comes out because the alarm goes off. And he's, he says, what are you doing? And Dane said, brother, I'm, I'm taking your car back to the factory. It's been six months. You've not made any payments. And the guy says, well, what if I go get a gun? He goes into the house. He comes back out. He doesn't show Dane the gun, but he puts it in his pocket like this, all right? And the guy noticed Dane was not afraid. And so he looked at Dane and he said, how about I go get my bullets for my gun? <laughs> and Dane, Dane said, I just looked at him and said, you're embarrassing yourself. Get back in the house. <laughs> now, here's the thing. If you've got a gun in the living room and you've got trouble in the kitchen, it's not going to do you much good, right? This is a military term. It means arm yourself. Stay with me. When you became a Christian... You learn some new truths. You learn some things. But if you only have a knowledge of it and you don't arm yourself with it, it does you no good. 
If you have a knowledge that Jesus died for your sin, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you know that, but then when you sin, guilt's still going to come, and it depends on how you deal with it. If you just know it but haven't armed yourself with it, you know what you're still going to do? You're still going to get depressed, and you're going to be sad and think, God doesn't love me, and he's abandoned me because I've done this bad thing. But if you're armed with it, what will you do instead? Worship. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. What? You mean when I fail, I'll worship? Yeah, because you'll fail and then you'll realize what you've done, but then you'll say, wow, God is so good. Past, present, future sin, I am forgiven. I think I'll worship a while. You see, if you're armed, you move into worship. If you just know it, you move into sadness and depression. Same thing is true about passages like cast all your anxieties on him. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.